לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamet in the Highland Park at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Jamin. Joining me are my good friends. Hello, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Long Island. And hello also, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Anche Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you. I hope you had a wonderful Shavuot. So we were just talking about what we taught. Rabbi Kalmanowski, you taught about Shimon Bar Yochai. Shimon ben Yochai is a great story. It's one of the foundational stories. The, the Talmudic story becomes a source for the traditions of Jewish mysticism about the wonder of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, who lives for 13 years and then has to return for one 14th year, one more year, in a cave to escape the Roman persecution. And he's just, just constant, rapturous Torah study in the cave. Uh, you know, it just it brings the mysteries of life to to him. Amazing, kind of refined into a super, really superhuman kind of person. I taught uh, the pasuk Torah Adonai to me, Mam Shivat Nafesh. The the Torah is complete; it restores the soul. And I thought about all three of us how uh, this chance of Torah study really is restorative to us. We have some simchas going on in our families. We've got three graduations. Big shout outs to Eliza. Eliza Chesler is graduating law school. We got Shai Kamanowski, University of uh, SUNY Buffalo. Yep. Mayan Malamit, graduating from Muhlenberg College in Allentown. So mazel tov to all of our graduates. Wait, no. And more. Odelia is graduating. Odelia Kamanowski is graduating Heschel High School. Hey, mazel tov, mazel tov. Yeah. Mazel tov to our graduates. Mazel tov to anybody who's watching who has a graduate in their family. Mazel tov. Naturally, of course, we, we've been watching you know, the events in Israel. We are hopeful that the events of the last 24 hours, we're, we're recording on Thursday, the, the ceasefire will hold. We, we pray for Sheket. We pray for calm. We pray that all the deep wounds that have been inflicted within Israeli society find their healing. And one way to find healing and to restore the soul is Torah, this Parsha Naso. What a great Parsha, an amazing Parsha, Parsha Naso. It's, is this the longest Parsha in the Torah? This is the longest Parsha in the Torah. Uh, uncoupled, it is, uh, it is, it's just a big Parsha. Because... In the triennial cycle, you know, my shul has we've always been an annual cycle. And in the Zoom era, we've, we've shrunk to a triennial. And um, I must say to my listeners, I hope you, you know, from the shul, I hope you will... Uh, be excited to return to an annual, but I, I think some people are telling me that they like a shorter total reading. That does not make me happy. But this year in Triennial 2, it is just the fourth Aliyah. Okay, yeah. it, is, it, is, it is simply that big, long, gigantic fourth Aliyah, which is the Sota, the Nazir, and the Birkharakonim. So we got to talk about all of that. In addition, we got to talk about the, the gifts of the tribal chieftains. But first, Let's let's just you know talk about the 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 items at the beginning. 
and and I don't know, somehow this captivates my own imagination, the, the idea that each family of the Levites has a specific set of tasks. Um, it, you know, just the Rosh B'nei Gershon, Zot Avodat Mishpechot HaGershoni. This is the job of the Gershon, the Gershonite clan. Lavod They got to carry the stuff. They carry what? The, the, the garments, the, the coverings, and, and all the different, you know, toppings to the, they call the, the, the fabrics, all of the things. And, and I suppose what I want to talk about and what I would just uh, get you to react to is, isn't it interesting to have families uh, focused on specific activities, that, they, that their job, they have their job. Um, I don't think our society is organized that way. It, it's... Families do represent um, a microcosm of a culture, um, and things are passed down to families in families. Think families do things certain way. Is this is this a theme that that any of you can relate to in some way, or just uh, you know have something to share about or or offer on this? You know, I, I think about first of all as as, uh, as you you know you make this observation. I think about last names, okay? Uh, uh, Malamut, I tell you, I know something about your ancestors. They were teachers. They were teachers, right? Uh, I, I don't know, Chess. I don't know. I don't know. I think Chess. I think it's probably from a place. And and oh, actually, in one of the books I looked up, it referred to a woman from Czechoslovakia. Okay. <laughs> so, but but like the people named Schneider. There was, they were tailors and or chayat in Hebrew, and uh, and the people named you know whatever Schefter or 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 you know Boucher Boucher in French is a butcher. <laughs> it was a butcher, okay. And, ba- like, and then we have all the English ones: Baker, Goldsmith. Yeah, and and you know I think that like it's it's kind of a cliche to say that. You know, in our world, we we think that people should find jobs that they find meaningful and as right for them as individuals. And I think that probably at some level, the ancient world, and it's true in, in, in this parasha, but there's other, you know, there's whole families whose whole job was to bring the wood for the temple. And other people were the incense people. And some people, you know, they were the, the there's these things about the people of Jericho had the secret of the date palm. And because the date palm actually needs like some fertilization of the male and female plants and stuff, and uh, the the Afar Simon makers. And I think that I'm going to take a wild guess. So it's really not more than a guess that that pre-modern people didn't think that they were picking a job that spoke to them or work that they as individuals found meaningful. They they did their work and and they found their place based on family assignments. And you you have this too, like the Gershoni and the and the and the uh, and the Mirari and everybody gets their their own specific jobs. Maybe I, I would know two things. First of all, yeah. as long as you're talking about last names, the oldest surname is Katz. Coincetic. Which was a person, you know, and probably came from a time when the Kohen no longer had that role in the temple that he had while the temple stood. But I think that what we also might say about pre-modern people is that their sense of identity first came from the family and the larger community. And in our day, the sense of identity is individual. That's why we, we're we looking for personal meaning. We don't want to, most of us do not want to do what our fathers or our mothers did 
or our grandparents. We want to do something else. And we live in a society where that's possible. Our ancestors really did not live in a society where that was possible. The other thing to note here is that what we're talking about, at least in the description, is a community that's on the move. So everyone does need a role in order for the community to be able to move effectively. Because if everyone was left to their own devices, you can imagine you know, the numbers that the Torah speaks of, 600,000 fighting men, it would be chaotic. So you're reminding me of, of camping, camping days. Uh, when I was a Roche Da at Ramah in Canada, uh, we, we the had, other camp Ramah for So I, we had a, a big project called Linat Shabbat. We would take the whole Da out of camp for Shabbat, um, and and we had to do exactly that. We had to put different bunks or different groups of kids in charge of you know carrying the tents, pitching the tents, you know setting up the kitchen, setting up the you know cooking the food, um, and so each each uh, group really was tasked with, with a certain thing. Of course, you know, they didn't pass that down to the next generation the most, in, in, in any kind of tradition. But, but I think you're right. You know, any, any organized society has to assign different roles, especially when, when it's very complicated to, to feed, take care, and, and you know, maintain the, that, that, that whole camp. Yeah. So that's what's going on at the beginning. We have the Gershonites, the Murrahites, the Kohatites, and they get numbered, and they get. We we are told what um, what what they are, what they are to do. And then the Torah really goes into um, a whole discussion. Well, it talks about um, we're going to leave out the the uh, casting out the tarua and the zav and tamei lanefesh, but uh, uh, we want to talk about a couple of things that um, are are in here. Um, first, we have this interesting figure of the Sota, we've talked about her before. And then we have the Nazir, the, the Nazirite, the person that takes upon uh, the vows. Uh, I guess with, 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 with your permission as, as uh, the moderator here, why don't we focus on the Nazir for a second, okay? And, and talk about hair, hair. The, the Nazir had to be defined by hair. Uh, and Barry, you mentioned before we were talking, we have two important Nazarites in the, in the canon, in the Tanakh. Name two important Nazirim. So the one is Shimshon, Samson, who figures in the Haftarah for this week. And the other one is Shmuel, Samuel, who is all sorts of things, a prophet, a priest in some sense, but also a Nazir. And... Um, you know, they present themselves, or they are presented as very different kinds of people. We attach to Shmuel a sense of piety that never quite embodied Samson. Samson is kind of a cartoonish figure, and the great comment about Samson, which is not in the Haftarah, is that he ended up killing more people in his death than he did in his life. That even his great contribution to warfare on behalf of the Israelites was achieved at the end of his life, not so much while he was supposedly acting the hero. Just remind uh, our viewers and listeners what, what he did. What, what did he do at the end of his life? Uh, so his strength was in his Nazariteness, I guess we would say. And as long as his hair was uncut, he was the strongest person on the planet. But he reveals his secret to Delilah, Delilah, and 
the Philistines cut his hair and then he's rendered helpless and they poke out his eyes and they put him in the temple. And while they are all celebrating, Samson prays to God and asks for God to restore his strength so that he can push out the pillars so that the building collapses on all the Philistines gathered to celebrate. It's a remarkable picture. You know, it's, it's uh, so vivid in, in, in um, art, artistic depictions of the Bible that the moment of Sam, the hairy Samson is standing between the pillars and you see the force, you know, that, that, that might, you know, and, and the here we have the, the biblical era presenting this model of, of this hero and strength. Um, I, I suppose it comes with all sorts of other uh, qualities, masculinity, I suppose, the hairy man. Uh, here we are, three, three guys with beards, you know, there's something there, I suppose. Um, but um, the Nazir in the Torah, though, is, is a different kind of personality. The Nazir in the Torah is someone who, who wants to be dedicated. And, and um, what do you think that the Torah is talking to here in, the, in terms of the human personality? Jeremy, have you encountered anybody like that who is so, you know, committed or so, you know, focused on wanting to be pious? You know, I, uh, I one time when I was much younger, I said, oh, I'm, I'll take a Nazarite vow. This will be fun. And uh, it'll be like a, an intense, you know, sort of period of, of uh, Nazarism. Um, I had known that there was the famous Nazir Yushalmi, Rav David HaKohen, who was a student of the Rav Kuk, was, was a Nazir for his whole life. Um, uh, from you know, a certain point, he, when he first landed in Eretz Israel, he became a Nazarite, was a Nazir until his death in 1968. And so this is really interesting. I'll, I'll do this, and then so I learned. I learned the the tractate of of uh, Nazir in the Mishnah to discover that, that you can't end your Nazarite vow without without a korban, without the sacrifice. So I, I thought he could do it for thirty days, and that's the basic that's the basic time of the Nazarite vow in rabbinic literature. But it's got to end off with <laughs> with uh, with the korban. So if you if you take the Nazarite vow nowadays, it is a lifetime vow. So I was I was saved from that mistake. But I think that that it's uh, it is really first of all I think the intensity, you know, arguably, you know, I, I, listen, I am a conservative Jew. This is who I am. Uh, we're moderate folk. Um, we're we're not extreme, and a little bit of extremism brings a little juice and passion. And so the Nazarite strikes me as bringing some real passion to religious worship in a, in a way that that I find really in, you know tends and kind of exciting. Of course. It's all bound up with a little bit of asceticism too, like you renounce the the the, the famous piece of rabbinic literature in which Rabban Gamliel kind of castigates the Nazir because he had such beautiful hair. At the conclusion of which he's going to have to shave it all off and burn it as part of the ritual, and and renouncing any pleasures of of wine, you know, are taken to be a kind of ascetic self punishment in a way that 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 maybe you know it's complicated i i don't know that those things are bad because a short-term period of, of of monkey monkish asceticism seems to me like a healthy thing um and brings a little bit of electricity and intensity to your worship it's interesting to me by the way that the nazarite it's, it's ish o isha 
So this is this is the Torah begins with the assumption that this is something that that any number of people, males and females alike, would be interested in doing. So that's it's fascinating that the Torah anticipates a proclivity in human behavior that that it is possible to um, to 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 have this sense of extreme this this the possibility of of being there and and it it wants to channel that in a in a certain direction. Barry, you have any comments on the Nazir? So, in the world where we have two kinds of people. We have people who are content to do what is required and people who need to do more than is required. And the Nazir is clearly in the camp of the one who wants to do more than is required. And the Torah is not comfortable with it. I agree with Jeremy that um, there is a place for it. And the Torah in chapter six seems to indicate that it is a place. There is a place for it, but it is also dangerous. It's dangerous for the individual and it's dangerous for the community as well, because, you know, thinking about it and listening to you talk, it's not just asceticism. There's an element of zealousness in it. And that is, can be dangerous for a community. You can't really have a community of zealots. If we think back in Jewish history to the group known as the zealots, they did not bring a lot of good to the Jewish people, even though they were quite pious. But this, this may be one of the reasons why the time-limited Nazarite is, is or could be a healthy thing. Right. Well, that's I, I thought you explained it very well, that, you know, for a little while it's good. But I wonder, though, if one of the things the Torah is getting at is it's, it's hard to stop, you know, even in the world where there is a korban, because there is an appeal to it. You know, I wanted to make the observation, by the way, you, you said, you know, that, that this is a, a Torah, the thing the Torah appears to be somewhat uncomfortable with. And, and I think that this is a very, you know, uh, astute observation to any number of mitzvot. And it applies to, to two in this parasha, any number of mitzvot in which the commandment seems to be a matter of reform as opposed to straight up legislation. And so in other words, it's not, it may be not saying, it's possible that the Torah is not saying I think what the Sotide is clearly not saying, oh, this is good. This is how you should behave. It sometimes is, comes along and says, all right, people are behaving in this way. Let's reform how they're doing it and direct this into a more productive fashion. Because with the Nazarite, I, I think one of the most problematic things about the Nazarite, who becomes Ke'ilu the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol cannot be in contact with any death. His mother and his father die, the Kohen Gadol does not come in contact with those bodies. A regular a regular Kohen is, is no contact with dead bodies except the immediate family. The Kohen Gadol not even. So the, the Nazarite becomes like that, who just has no contact with death, except for the abandoned corpse. This is another matter. Um, and that is like insane you know that that is insane in the in the best sense of the term like he's in this period of religious intensity or she's in this period of religious intensity and the cost of it could be alienation from some of the most important relationships in your life we don't want that to be um an experience that you have for life we would we we can have some some uh dealing with it if it's a 30-day period that's a good thing that might not be a bad thing um but we'd like to reform that. And I, and I would say, by the way, the sota, the ritual by which the, the person who is 
you know, avar lav ruach kina, seized with this jealousy, there may be a way in which the sota ritual um, prevents that person from just chas v'chalila, killing the spouse or, or getting all violent or whatever. It's okay, there's a ritual. It's going to channel this negative energy in a way that, that might create the possibility of reconciliation. No, I, th- I think that that's the key. I mean, wh- one of the keys, at least, that's you know, taking that energy, as you've been saying, taking that, that passion and, and channeling it. It's interesting, as you, as you speak, I'm thinking about the, the custom in, in you know, more orthodox societies of where you, you know, young people, uh, you know, already in their, you know, 20, maybe even younger, are, are really encouraged to, to marry. And, and of course, that certainly channels that energy into, you know, that, that the tendency of kids to be wild uh, is at that age, uh, between, you know, in, in late adolescence and, and you know, really early adult, uh, adulthood. And, and what the, the tradition may be doing in its folk tradition is saying, look, you know, yeah, you're going to have all this tendency to be well, but here, here we're going to channel that, channel that to, to uh, your spouse, channel that to your family, um, take all that energy and, and make yourself into, into something that, that becomes an instrument for the entire people. I think that that's uh, part of it. The, there is a civilizing nature to all religion and, and the civilizing nature to Judaism is taking that wildness. And, and Shimshon is the, is the ultimate wild man. I mean, he really is. He's wild in his looks. He's wild in his strength. He's wild in his sexuality. And, he's, and he dies a, a, a violent, terrible, wild death. Uh, Shmuel less so. Shmuel is, is not your wild man, but, but uh, we'll have to talk about him another time. Samson, okay. Well, Samson is just, it's just an amazing thing because there's like, uh, I, I don't forget, it's three or four, but there's extended narrative about Shimshon in the Book of Judges. Um, my, like multiple times greater quantity of story about Samson um, than, than, than uh, I think almost any other character in the historical books, maybe probably except for, for David himself, but uh, um, there was a lot, a lot of material about him. And exactly as you said, this is the character who like kills a lion with his bare hands and has, and, 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 you know, kills all the people with the jawbone of the donkey and, uh, and um, sleeps with lots of women, you know. Like, who, if you were, if you had the, if you were making the film, like, who would you, who would you cast? You know? Okay. From that, we'll go to another favorite passage in this parsha, and that is Birkat Kohanim. You know, Birkat Kohanim is nestled in in this parsha. Uh, we could talk about about why, but but uh, let's talk about the content of it first of all. Uh, let me read the 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 pre the the preamble. God says to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus shall you bless the people. You know, even that verse is, uh, is very moving because it means that there is a, a cadre of people within the Jewish people that is entrusted with blessing, that they have, their role is to provide blessing. That is to say, to stand and literally, in one interpretation, place the name of God on the people. But uh, here, Jeremy, you are uh, one of that uh, clan. You are a descendant of Aaron the Kohen. We test you in the DNA. You know, do you feel that it's a special privilege? Definitely do. Definitely do. And 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 this is one of those things that uh, that 
ritual that, that rationally, um, you know, there, there, are, there are things that there are, you know, kushiyot, like real hard questions that, that I can't necessarily answer. You know, we talked about some families get to carry the wood of the Mishkan and some families get to carry the, the, the curtains of the Mishkan and, and some people get to be the, the priests. And there's no question that there's a, a kind of a caste quality to the role of Aaron's, Aaron's people. Um, you know, do I, do I think, would I think that by virtue of hereditary caste, you know, I have some sort of like inherent power of blessing. Of course that it does not make sense. And when you get up there and, and like in, in many American synagogues, uh, usually in the more orthodox ver- version, they, they, they say Birkat HaKohanim on, on the Shalosh Regalim Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, in, in, in Israel, they tend to do it, you know, every, every day in every service. Uh, when you get up there and you, you say this blessing, which is really, I just find the blessing super moving. Uh, who sanctified us with a little bit of the sanctity of Aaron v'tzivanu and commanded us to bless the people with love. And there's a like a practice, you, you've got your hands kind of balled into a little fist, and you you open your hands to bless the people. And at that moment, um, that kind of opening hand gesture, you just you just have this, I feel, and have felt a channel of beneficence and love that is, it's, you know, I'm, I'm working myself up into these feelings, but they are real feelings, and um, it's great. It's beautiful, you know, and, and I don't, I'm, I, look, I've never been looking at the, the hands of the Kohanim when they do that. I know that they, they, they're facing the ark, and then they turn around when they, when they say those words. That, you know, and Vitsi, yeah, you turn around at Vitsivanu and you open your hands at Levarich. So being able to, to bless the people with love and, and you know, I'm, I'm recalling a quote, if you don't have personal joy, you can't offer blessings. So in a way, it, it, the obligation for Kohanim as the people entrusted with the, the power, by the power vested in the Kohanim, you have an obligation to be happy. Yeah, that's good. You to and to love. I mean, for our sake, no morose morosity, no crushing morosity there, no depression. Some of us really enjoy. For you, though, for you, Elliot, this this one is is for you because there's a um, now I don't I don't remember where this is, but it does exist. Um, the Hayebracha, yeah, you be a blessing. And God says to Abraham in, in Lech Lecha, Genesis 12, you know, Lech Lecha, Meratzecha, et cetera, be a blessing. It says, you know, until now I have held, I, God, have held the power of blessing. Now I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the, the capacity and the obligation to be a channel for blessing. And so Birkata Kohanim, again, I'm kind of mushing in my mind exactly is this a single source? Is this multiple sources that I've mushed together? But um, like when I do Birkat Koanim, I feel that Hayebracha part, that the that the power of blessing has been assigned to to me and to us to be to be blessings and conduits of all the world's goodness and love and care ourselves. 
So as long as we're making midrash on the fly here, when you say ve'ye bracha, there's an intimation of the four-letter name of God, yud Hey vav Hey, And, you know, each of the three clauses of the priestly blessing has the four-letter name of God. And the way that the rabbis understand it is that that name was actually pronounced when the blessing was given. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize that the Kohen is a medium for the blessing. He's not giving the blessing. He's transferring it from God to the people in God's name. And what's, I think, of crucial importance for us in the modern world is we often ask where God is. God is with people. And in this particular place, he's with the Kohanim. And the Kohanim are placing God upon the community. And that could be a very powerful thing for the community, not just for the Kohen as well. You want to you want to say, you know, people, a lot of times people say, well, is God doing it or is people doing it? And the answer invariably is yes, right? So in the, in the way that you said it, in the beginning clause of the bracha, you know, God says to, to, to Moses, say to Aaron, uh, this is how you should bless. And at the end, it's you place my name on the people and I will bless them. And so the answer is, is, is it God or is it the Kohanim? And the answer is, of course, yes. The Kohanim have to place the, have to say the blessing, but that is what invokes the divine who then can come and deliver the blessing. The, the elements of the blessings are, are just so important. You know, or sorry, Vishmerecha, bless you and keep you. That is to say, have your entire well-being taken care of. Vichuneka, be gracious to you, the kindness of God. And then, of course, shalom, you know, the ultimate blessing, the ultimate blessing, peace. And so, you know, I wonder if if the construction of this blessing is is such that it it's designed to include everything by the by just listing these basic elements. If you have some your basic life taken care of, if you have a little kindness and you have peace, uh, you don't need a lot more than that. Maybe a table, maybe a bed, maybe a chair. <laughs> My late uncle used to say, you need a good set of tires, a good shoe, a good pair of shoes, and a good mattress. That's it. <laughs> what, which uncle was that? Uncle Dave. <laughs> no, it's not, that's, he wasn't married to Roz. No, 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 no. That was a different uncle. Different uncle, Harry. Okay. Anyway, no, yeah, it's it. It's a you know his pure cabot was. You need a good a good pair of shoes, a good set of tires, and a good mattress. If you got that, it's everything. That's it. You know, joy in the blessing, grace, kindness, peace. What more can you ask for? Maybe a few bucks. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I want to go back. The, the parsha ends with the the, the gifts of the nasiim. The, the Nasi, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But I, I, you know, last week, Barry, you said something. I kept it with me the whole week because um, we referred last week to the census and and the fact that the the, the 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 passage of the census is very repetitive. You said something very interesting that that in the song of the Torah, every every tribe gets its own verse. And and here, I think the same thing applies in the in the song of the Torah. The Torah could have you know, com- compressed all of this information into, into really a paragraph. But the Torah gives us one paragraph on each of the tribal chieftains and tells us the exact same offering and the exact same gift. And it's really part of the narrative, the story. It's the way that we stitch ourselves together. Um, 
And I wonder if you could if you could just amplify that idea again for us. So there's a wonderful comment in Ichiri Torah. So when we listen to the gifts given, the only thing that is different is the name of the Nasi. And if you listen carefully, that will stand out because it kind of, it repeats itself, obviously. And some people may say it drones on and then all of a sudden we get a name and a number, the number of the day. And the comment in Ichiri Torah was that the way it's written is to emphasize the giver of the gift. Because what we often lose sight of, most of us like gifts, of course, but what's really important is the giver and how the giver gives it. And you could give the same thing as another person, but it could be a, a unique gift because it's from you and not from the other person. Absolutely. Jeremy, have any Closing comments on that. No, no that, comments. that was too good. That was too good. I, I think each no, you know, everybody has their own set of gifts. Everybody has their their way of of taking an attribute. You know, if you connect the beginning of the parsha to now, I mean, it's like, yeah, these 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 clans they had they had individual attributes, but each one had their own style, their own individuality to them. I suppose. Well, that's 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 great, and that's great about Judaism. You know, prayer books the same. Mitzvot are the same, Torah is the same. Your individual relationship to it can be unique. And that's a beautiful way to conclude our talk. We want to wish everyone a beautiful Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. Mazel Tov to all of our Dimcha families, the graduates. We are with our brothers and sisters, our family and friends in Israel. And we pray for Sheket. And we pray for the priestly blessings. God keep us, God give us grace kindness and self-love. Radio Kurama.